1059 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi filling in, uh, in for the ill Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs with an impressive victory over the St. Louis Blues yesterday, 4-1. No Morgan Riley serving the first of a five-game suspension for his cross-check to the head of uh, Ridley Gregg on Saturday. But also no Mitch Marner, no John Tavares. No problem because the undrafted Bobby McMahon, despite the fact that he has not played a full season of NHL action, he's 27 years old. Uh, hat trick for him. I Again, I, I love that element of sports that a guy that's undrafted played for the Bonneville Pontiacs. Um, because sports are a meritocracy that, hey, you play in the ECHL with the Newfoundland Growlers and you succeed there and score 20 goals in the AHL with the Marlies, that eventually you're going to get on somebody's radar. You're going to get an opportunity at the NHL level. So mm -hmm. I love that, love that, love that. Also love that, like, I guarantee you in that locker room after the game, it was one of the biggest celebrations <laughs> they've had all season long. And you could see it. I mean, follow Austin Matthews on Instagram. And yeah, he doesn't always re post the the clips of the belt but yeah Bobby McMahon getting the belt yesterday nice. and and a little clip of uh, of him scoring the the third goal of the game that was i i think just process wise and result wise one of the better games of the season for the Maple Leafs if not the best but also like just emotionally got to be one of the best games for the Maple Leafs wow when we you know at the end of the regular season when we have to kind of retrospectively look back at the campaign that was. It's going to be a highlight. Like, that's a moment. Yeah. That's a moment. That's a cool, fun moment on home ice in a game where uh, coming off a day that was filled with, well, not just a day, but a 48 hours of, like, adversity and, and people, A, the performance on Saturday wasn't the greatest. You lose to a, a Senators team that's not very good, and then you have the fallout from the, the Riley incident. So to have that moment and for those and then on top of that, two of your best players, indispensable parts of your team in, in, uh, in Tavares and Marner, our sideline, to have that kind of response from your group in light of those problems, I think is, it's really encouraging. And, and, it, and it was, I, I think I, I even had it written down, I was like, feels like a gut check game for the Leafs tonight. Mm. Because I got the sense that you need to show the urgency and the desperation that is commensurate with the type of team that you want to be. Mm -hmm. And they did that yesterday. And maybe Bobby McMahon goes on to be like a real force in the NHL and like a, a, a bottom yeah. six guy that can like contribute. And, you know, maybe he has like an, another 10 years to go yeah. in his NHL yeah. career. Or maybe not. But he, if it's maybe not, I think you say the name Bobby McMahon in 10 years, people might be able to remember this game. That's true. You know, it's also very poetic. The, the third, the hat trick goal was an empty net goal. Mm -hmm. Kind of poetic that, you know, the game on Saturday night ends with the hatch, the, mm -hmm. the empty netter and the controversy. See, that's how that. you're supposed to score in the empty net. You bounce it there off you the sidewall. That's wall. a classy way to score, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw it off the glass, trickles into the empty net. Love it. Nobody's going to be upset about that. I actually thought I was thinking, oh, in the back of my mind, because because even uh, they pan to the bench and they see Bobby McMahon's on the air. They're going for, they're trying to get him the hat trick. And I was like, oh, is our Saint, the St. Louis Blues going to come out after the game and say, that's classless. Why would you put that guy on the ice to try and get him his hat trick? Yeah, I mean, he was one of the best Leafs players. He was. I mean, and did lead the team in, in five on five shot attempts. He, uh, had, he had seven. He had the second, well, behind Matthews and Nylander, he had the next most shifts in total mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. game which is remarkable at five on five. He's out there. I think it was 17 shifts. He logged over the course of the hockey game. So yeah, he was, he was very, very good. Well, I mean, you talk to people that have watched the Marlies over the last couple of years, Simon Bennett here in the building oh, right yeah. now, they'll <laughs> sing praises 
of of Bobby McMahon. And in fact, I was texting with uh, one of our guests, uh, Blake Murphy, who we're going to talk to after eight thirty. He was early on Bobby McMahon <laughs> Island because his his dad was a big Newfoundland Growlers nice. guy. Um, so yeah, big big day for people who are big fans of the Newfoundland Growlers. So yeah, no Marner, no Tavares. Uh, no Martin Jones, as well as the backup. Mm-hmm. Dennis Hildeby was the emergency backup yesterday. And, of course, no Morgan Riley, serving the first of a five-game suspension. Maple Leafs over the last two years now improving to, like, this is not even the Matthews. The Matthews stat, like, the, the record without Matthews is pretty good, but it's not, like, overwhelmingly good. It's much better than you would anticipate <laughs> for a guy that's already scored 60 goals and is close to a 70-goal pace. The record without Morgan Riley over the last two years now is 15, mm-hmm. two, and one. And it's only two years, but that's not an insignificant number of games. That's 18 games, a quarter of the season, essentially. How, and like, I'm not going to argue that Morgan Riley's bad or something or a net negative, but how many games of a sample does this have to grow to before you start thinking there's actual takeaways from hey, Morgan Riley not being with this team, not being on this blue line, and and maybe we need to apply those in some way. Ooh, that's a that's a tricky one. I, I think, may, I mean, certainly if they sweep this five-game swing without him, this little run that they have to go on here, and, and again, the competition is, you know, so-so. I mean, the Flyers mixed in. But if they were to go 5-0 and with without him in the lineup, then I think, you know, then I think the conversation becomes a lot, uh, different and and it's a louder discussion that we need to have. That being said, uh, it's another one where I'm like, and we all know at the end of the day, and you saw it in the playoffs last year. He's he's an indispensable piece of the blue line. Like mm-hmm. I, I I think it's hard to look at 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 those isolated uh, that I, that record mm-hmm. and in a vacuum and say, oh, they're better without him. I don't believe that's the case. What I do think though is those guys, for whatever reason. When and and it wasn't uh, who else was it? Was it Brody that missed time last year? Brody missed a bunch of the the month that that Morgan Riley yeah, also okay. missed. Like they were out at the same time. Yes, and that's where if everybody was just, I mean, in a, it felt like the team was could have been in a tailspin, and and everybody was was yearning for a trade. Go fix the blue line, Kyle. Go address the blue line, um, and. Yet, no, they were patient. They stood pat up until, and obviously he, he got very aggressive, but, but he they, they were patient before um, adding and bolstering that blue line. And it seemed to pay dividends because it even made Rasmus Sandin more valuable. And he was able, they were able to showcase him. Lilligren looked competent and good in that role. Mark Giordano played well for them. So for whatever reason, it almost, it seems like when there is a, a core piece that is missing from that blue line, the other guys are galvanized and feel invigorated to put their best foot forward. And, and a guy that I think has really been a revelation for them this year across the board, let alone without Riley in the lineup, whatever, but Simone Benoit has been outstanding for them. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's, and he strikes me, Ben, I look at them. That guy strikes me as the prototypical kind of rough and tough blue collar defenseman that you, that is unsuspectingly on a really good team. Mm. Like, Every team that wins a Stanley Cup or that goes deep in the playoffs, you look at their back end and you say, yeah, I feel good about these guys. And then you look and you're like, ah, but that guy. And yet happens to be one of their more important players. But for whatever reason, like Giordano, um, Lilligren, Brody, like McCabe last night was a man possessed. The physical edge he played with. So 
I don't know. It's just hard to say. I don't put too much stock into it, but we can't ignore it completely. So if they were to go 5-0 and without him, then then I think there is a question there to be posed a little bit, at least. I, I think there's already a takeaway to, to have Okay. Uh, over these now almost 20 games without Morgan Riley. And again, Morgan Riley, net positive. And, you know, the idea that you need defensive defensemen is overrated because, you know what the best defense is? is like just not having the puck in your own zone. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, a defenseman that carries the puck out or makes the correct pl- uh, pass mm-hmm. or keeps the puck in the offensive zone. That's, yeah, that's as valuable as a guy that just stops the cycle, ends the offensive opportunities for the opposition. But Morgan Riley ain't Zidane Chara. We can all agree, right? Like, yeah, this is this guy's best defensive trait is his offense. Mm-hmm. He's been really good at that. He's got Norris votes because of that. He's guy's scored 70 points. 20 goals score. Yeah, yeah <laughs> in, in the NHL before. But, yeah, he's also averaging over 24 minutes a game this season. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the most porous Leafs teams we've seen over the last near decade. He was averaging two and a half minutes fewer per game during the regular season a year ago. And that was one of the best defensive Leafs teams we've seen in recent memory. I don't think like the, obviously again, I need to preface this. I don't think the Leafs are better without Morgan Riley, but I do. I think that, and this is maybe the case for some of the depth forwards as well, that maybe an increased workload for some of those other Players on the blue line isn't the worst thing in the world that they're more capable. And also with him out of the lineup, are you not making the more simple plays? Like, are you thinking more about the idea of playing defense as opposed to, you know, having this guy who's again, best defensive weapon is his offense, but you're, that's not you that that guy out of the lineup does reinforce the idea of just making the simple plays, getting it out of your own zone. Yeah. I don't like, I I think that's, uh, you raise two good, really good points there. Um, It's not an instance where obviously Morgan Riley is globe trotting and through the neutral zone with the puck and all that. No, that's not it at all. But I will say, and, and thinking back and reflecting on last season, he played his best hockey when he had a guy next to him that was really defensively sound and responsible, Mm -hmm. a veteran presence in Luke Shen. And also when they more stri- were strategically able to, I don't want to say um, insulate him, but in a way find ways to max, like put him in positions where you'd want him on the ice in the, in certain spots, as opposed to, well, we got to feed him the minutes just because he's Morgan Riley and he's the best defenseman we have. And maybe that is reflective of their situation this year and what they're going through. So, if they were to let's say go out and and add that top four defenseman, then then I think maybe it changes what he is and our outlook as on him as a player mm-hmm. and how we interpret him. It's about finding either the the guy that can play beside him or somebody that can take away some of the responsibility that is currently on his shoulders. Then I think maybe we get the best version of Morgan Riley. Yeah, fifteen two and one is ridiculous. Yeah, it's... and again, like look at the like visually how those games looked. Go back to the month of, of hockey they played without him last year, and them averaging just over two goals against per game over that fifteen game span. Look at yesterday and the fifteen mm-hmm. shots on goal that they allowed against the Blues team that had won seven of eight. There's clearly something happening defensively when Morgan Riley's not in the lineup. Um. It's baseball season. Yeah. Right I love baseball. It's great. Uh, Blue Jays 
camp officially opening tomorrow with the mandatory reporting date for pitchers and catchers. Um, so everybody's with their teams, except not because <laughs> like Scott Boris, <laughs> this is his deal. And he quite often will go into the mandatory reporting date for the position players. So these guys, it's not like he views tomorrow as some, some big deadline for his big name players, but Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, JD Martinez, Matt Chapman, just four of the big names that are out there, Mm -hmm. but those are the biggest names that are still unsigned. And I guess like in a world of limitless possibilities, Blue Jays could still sign one. It does feel like their work is largely, if not entirely complete now. Mm -hmm. It also like, if you, if you look at where they stand in the luxury tax payroll threshold, they're over it again, but probably not willing to push too much further beyond that if if we're reading the tea leaves. But, like, let's take that out of it. Take the, the whole salary thing out of it, which we obviously can't. But let's play in the fantasy <laughs> world of, like, money doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the guy of the available players that fits the most obvious need for this Blue Jays team? Did you mention Cody Bellinger as well in that list? Oh, sorry, yeah, and Cody Bellinger also out there. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest that was obviously looking to command the largest contract of of any of those guys. Um, I I love this question, and this exercise I think is is fun and interesting. I'm really tempted to say J.D. Martinez, and I probably will go in that direction. Um, And I I just think Justin Turner accomplishes this a little bit, just adding professional at bats to the lineup guys that are, are going to give you honest, genuine, good quality at bats every time they step in the box. And I know we don't, you're not going to pay guys for past performance and, but to a certain extent it, it should and can be an indicator of future performance. And if you're paying, uh, if you're bringing in a 39 year old, Justin Turner, I don't see any reason why a 35, soon to be 36-year-old J.D. Martinez isn't capable of stepping in and being able to replicate what he's essentially done his entire career, which is drive in runs, hit for a decent average, hit 30-plus homers, and theoretically even playing again in, And I mean, it was interesting last year. Roger Center used to be a hitter-friendly ballpark. We'll see if it gets back to that, that, that reputation again. But, you know, a guy that has done it consistently – I think having that that presence in your lineup, one thing it does to me, I, I feel good about Justin Turner. I'd feel better if there were two guys that you can essentially not rotate, but kind of rotate through that DH spot, and Justin Turner can even play certain, um, like play a little bit of third base, play a little bit of first base on occasion, have Vladdy DH. The versatility, just mainly I feel, would feel comfortable because, again, it's a guy that has a history of being a run producer, which is something this team sorely lacked last year and probably still lacks and he can step in and provide you with quality at bats consistently. I like JD Martinez a lot more than Justin Turner, but they already got Justin Turner to me. JD Martinez is superfluous. And, and let, unless you like are of the belief and I, I don't know what would give you this indication that Justin Turner can play a hundred games at third base. And he only played 40 plus yep. in the field last year. Most of it was at first base. Um, I don't, I don't know how you do it because you still need to get George Springer some DH days mm-hmm. and Vlad off his fleet, uh, off his feet. You do, you're tying, you're already tying up your DH spot with Justin Turner, but yeah, I, JD Martinez, great player. And if, if 
you know, you're just thinking about the playoffs and, hey, who cares about the regular season? These guys are going to find their at-bats. But in the playoffs, Justin Turner's our third baseman and J.D. Martinez our DH. But you're also having, like, the money is the biggest factor, but you're also having to convince these guys that the opportunity is going to be there for them to play. Mm-hmm. And that's tough with a couple of guys that are DHs. To me, as much as I I like everybody in our listening audience, watch the final five months of Matt Chapman's season. It's still Matt Chapman. Oh, wow. How is it not wow. Matt Chapman? How is it not Matt Chapman? Now, again, I <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't I wouldn't advocate for it. But, I mean, Cody Bellinger, I, I, I think is at one point in the offseason, made some sense, not at the price at which he's going to command because I think a a lot of the value he recouped last season is fool's gold and somebody's not going to be too happy and it looks like it's going to be the Cubs with the next half decade (laughs) to a decade of Cody Bellinger. But yeah, they they went out and got Kevin Kiermaier and Dalton Varshow's back in left field and they got other options. I just, I don't... And, and Cody Bellinger doesn't play third base. Like, so I I don't necessarily understand that one. There's some great pitching available, but... Man, that's and you can never have too much pitching, except like factually, Blue Jays would have too much pitching if they went out <laughs> and got another starting pitcher. It's the we're, we're still in a world where we're dividing up the playing time at third base and looking at Isaiah Kiner Falefa getting a lot of starts at third base. That's bad. Yep. And is again, I saw the last five months of Matt Chapman. I know, I know that his league average offensive season was based on a month of being the best player in baseball and five months of being the worst. Mm -hmm. But he was still, we can all argue, we we can argue about the offense, but like the glove still plays at an above average level. Yeah. That if you're just taking the salary out of it, and I think, because I think somebody's not going to be too pleased with the next half decade of Matt (laughs) Chapman either. It's probably going to be the San Francisco giants, but yeah, it's, it's clearly to me, if you're just talking about needs, Matt Chapman, for this team. I don't think it's going to happen. It hasn't been totally discounted, though. I'm surprised. You, you haven't had enough of Matt Chapman yet? I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about fit, though. Like, fit. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's, that's. I, I get it, because it fills a need. It, there's, a, there's a need there. There's a hole there. Would you you would probably still feel better about Matt Chapman versus uh, some level of platoon happening between IKF, Kevin Biggio, whomever gets opportunity at third base I, a little bit. I think Kevin Biggio has recouped his value as an offensive player, but I've seen enough of Kevin Biggio at third base I, to be not that uh, I excited agree. about if any, it. If anything, I mean, second is probably where he's best served, If and then maybe a little bit of outfield on occasion, but that's about it. Uh, I'm with you on the third base stuff, though. There is a clear need there. I, I, I get that. Um, but who's to say then why can't Justin Turner really can't play – I don't know, like 60 games. Well, that's, third? I mean, that's, I, it's an interesting question. You know? And one that I would be posing uh, Ross Atkins yeah. in Dunedin is like, how much third base do you expect Justin Turner at 39 years old to be playing? Considering he only played 40 games in the field, started 40 games in yeah, the field was... for the Red Sox last year and like a very limited sample at third base, which I, I think is a little more demanding than first base. For sure. No question. Uh, you know, the one guy though, that was not as, Maybe more realistic, somebody who's more of a flyer on the periphery that I thought, hey, you know what? This might actually make some sense. And I and I know the name was tossed around a little bit, but you, you'd you have to scroll further down the list of available free agents at this point to find them. Um, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson, just mm-hmm. because, you know, yeah, last year was really rough for him. He had an awful Horrible. season. He had a he lot was, of off, off the field stuff yes, with him last and, year, too. And it was really bad. But prior to that, Ben, we're looking at a four-year sample where the guy just hit 300 every year. And... Yeah, he's not an above-average uh, defensive. He was a shortstop at the time, not a above-average defensive shortstop. In fact, probably just right around league average. And metrically, he grades out in that regard. Um, but at 31, 
now a lot of the discussion surrounding him is he would move to second base anyway. And to me, I would still wouldn't mind taking a gamble on some level of upside with a player like that. And if you were to do, he's like the reclamation project, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he could, maybe he ends up in, I'm not saying I'm not trying to paint this peril, but maybe he's that market simian type of get for you. That ends up being um, a complete home run of a pickup for a season. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there is a world where, where that could happen with a player like that. So he was somebody I sort of circled as maybe that is more realistic, whether that happens right now before the season starts mm-hmm. or down the road. Like maybe that is a guy, if second base doesn't pan out the way you think it does, mm-hmm. you could take a flyer on somebody that could be penciled in there and, and has some track record of offensive success in the bigs. No, I don't hate the Tim Anderson ad at all. And the blue Jays have been linked to him yeah. uh, in years previous and, a guy that I thought might be acquired at the deadline last year and, and still available. Still available also is your friend and mine, Joey Votto, <laughs> who 16 hours ago on his Instagram feed uh, posted a picture of himself holding a bat in a cage uh, with this caption. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Which I think is a pretty good indication that this guy feels like his market hasn't developed in the way that he wanted, but also ain't about to say, you know what? Nobody wants me. I'm about to call it quits. So he he wants to catch on with a team. He's 40 years old. Blue just signed a 39-year-old Justin Mm -hmm. Turner. But yeah, Joey Votto was not great last season. Coming off the, the injury, only played 65 games, the 747 OPS, and only hit 202. To take a bunch of walks and hit 14 bombs in those 65 games and 242 plate appearances. Boy, if we're talking about reclamation projects or guys with like the, the, the expectations low-ish and anything above that being beneficial to you and a need, Blue Jays are going into the season. And I like Spencer Horowitz, but like, what's the upside of Spencer Horowitz? It's not the upside of Joey Votto. If you can, and Spencer Horowitz has options, like. Yep, and, and I'm sure Joey Votto went into this offseason thinking, hey, somebody understands that I'm a Hall of Famer and they've seen me at my best and they, they see the number of home runs I hit last season. Someone's going to give me the Brandon Belt deal, right? Like somebody's going to be like, I can be Brandon Belt. I can do that for one year as a full-time DH, and that hasn't happened. I wonder at this point in the offseason, this point in his career, and it would be tough because he's such an icon in mm-hmm. this country to play a part-time role, and especially if he doesn't look good in that role, if you got to cut him loose. But who better to play the Spencer Horowitz role than Joey Votto as the occasional starter against right-handed pitching? I mean, it doesn't, he's not a platoon guy, so he's starting against, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Or a pinch hit late in a game and injury backfill for the 39-year-old Justin Turner. Sign me up for Joey Votto on a one-year cheap deal you make a very compelling case and granted baseball wise you check a lot of boxes there ben can i tell you this is just strictly narrative this is why i i do not want to see this guy in a blue jays uniform (laughs) i find it very convenient i would find it very convenient Mm. if after how many years he's been in the big leagues i mean obviously he's 40 he's he's, he's been around 17 years unbelievable career right decorated career hall Hall of of famer mvp no question unbelievable it would feel very convenient for him to finally come to Canada, play for the Blue Jays when he's on the way out, just so that he can keep himself relevant. It's, it's to me, 
I, I, it doesn't sit right with me that a guy who all he did his entire career was try to distance himself from Canadian baseball and talk down about the Blue Jays and about Canada and that now because you need a job because mm. now nobody else wants you, you'd be willing to come here at as a diminished product, but yet you'd still be popular. You'd still be a celebrity because you're Joey Votto and you know that for a fact that you're going to come here and have a nice little retirement tour. My reasoning for not wanting him has nothing to do with baseball. It's, it has nothing to do with that. I could, could I see the the picture you just painted? Could I see it working out? hundred percent is his ceiling vastly different or or more inferior compared to Spencer Horowitz. No, like there's, there's a realm where he could be a better, more productive version of that player. No question. But I just do not want to see that guy have a retirement tour in a Blue Jays uniform after spending his entire career mm-hmm. completely always trying to distance there were himself certainly and moments. talk down. I mean, there were certainly moments. I mean, he played for no, Team Canada did. at the World yes, Baseball Classic. And yes, it certainly did. Like, he did a PR tour after his... His, I mean, and those comments are, I am sure, what is informing your Joey Votto feelings mm-hmm. that, yeah, he felt, you know, hard done by by Canada uh, baseball and and doesn't feel a connection to Canada baseball. It also might have something to do with the fact that Blue Jays didn't scout him nearly as as hard as some of the other teams when he was available to be drafted. Like, no doubt that that's, that's a part of it as well. But certainly over the last half decade and this guy looking at the tail end of his career and his legacy, he's embraced being a Canadian with open arms and has talked openly about the idea of one day maybe playing for the Blue Jays, the, the the problem, like I said, to me would be, hey, what if this doesn't work out? And what are you going to do with an icon of the sport in this country if he can't hack it? Which is a possibility, but I, I'd still roll the dice with it. Mm, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe. I, I And if it doesn't work out, just just cut bait. You don't have to hesitate. Just cut, cut bait. Don't hesitate. But yeah, I, I, cut bait. Don't hesitate. It doesn't. It doesn't sit right with me if I were to see that guy in a Blue Jays uniform because it felt like he had. Op- if anything, there were opportunities throughout your career, and you. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you stay loyal to the Kansas uh, to the Cincinnati Reds. Great, good for you. Team ended up having some good years and, and success, but you, you kind of alienated the country for a long time, and now all of a sudden you're like, I need somewhere to go. So bring me home, home in air quotes, bring me home. Uh, I just, I can't get behind that. I don't like that. Uh, I just hope somebody signs him. <laughs> he seems sad. He seems sad about baseball. It's not time for him to start his, his professional chess career quite yet. Oh. Right. When we come back, uh, Morgan Riley slapped with a five-game suspension for his cross-check to the head of Ridley Gregg. We'll talk to Damien Cox, Toronto Star contributor, our Leafs historian next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi filling in for Brent Gunning as the Maple Leafs come away with a 4-1 victory over the St. Louis Blues, limiting the Blues to just 15 total shots in the hockey game. Ilya Samsonov made some nice saves, but only had to make 14 of them to get his uh, Toronto Maple Leafs team the victory. Some depth scoring for the Maple Leafs. 
By which I mean one guy providing the depth. William Nylander had a goal, and uh, Bobby McMahon had the other three, including an empty netter, banging it off the uh, sideboards and in. Let's talk to your friend and mine, Damian Cox, our Toronto Maple Leafs historian, Toronto Star contributor. How's it going, Damian? Good. I actually, uh, good morning, and uh, I'm sorry to hear everybody's sick in your office. You're, you guys yeah. are like the Leafs. But yeah. I love your idea, by the way, that you sent me an email about that we should do this segment from now on. I can't do it this week. We're every week wearing our new Dunkings outfits. I love that idea. I think we'll look great like Ben Affleck and Matt Oh, Damon. yeah, the Dunkin' Donuts. Right? Yeah, the, the – What do you what, think? Those, like their NASCAR outfits? What are they? Yeah, they're, they're, and, and you wear the pink glasses, okay. right? <laughs> sure, and yes. Then, and, I'll, and I'll talk in the Boston accent. Of, uh, yeah. I think that's a great idea. I love it. I yeah. That's, that's, that, you see, I, you're a master of these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had Dunkin' Donuts once, and not not a not a fan. Not not exactly like high quality rocket fuel. I mean, it is rocket fuel. Don't, don't get me wrong, um, but not not the high quality uh, coffee that that I'm used to consuming on a daily basis. But yeah, well, okay. as, as as Ben Affleck says in the video, oh, that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's cold by the NHL Department of Player Safety to slap Morgan Riley the five game suspension. Uh, yeah. Damo, uh, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it did seem like it was trending towards six, especially considering it was a, an in-person hearing. What do you what do you feel about the 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 verdict that came down yesterday? You know, pretty. I, I think like a lot of people, kind of mixed, right? Like no one's going to say you can go and cross-check a guy in the head after the whistle. No one's going to say that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll throw that right out. So the, the question then becomes how much how much does he get? And uh, the problem with the NHL player safety and George Peros is you never have. It could have been nine games. It could have been one game. Like he's just pulling numbers out of a hat and then coming up with some explanation of. It. I mean, he's the most incompetent guy at that job that there is they have ever had. Um, and so you you just don't know. You know, it's like it's like NHL goalie interference calls. You don't know. You don't know why they why they are the way they are. You just sort of go, okay. And the only other thing about it is, and this is, you know, I'm not an old school hockey guy. I'm not a fighting guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there is part of you that thinks, like Ridley Gregg had some responsibility in all this, and I guess he just walks away chuckling to himself, I suppose. Um, you know, and uh, but so... And there's also that sense of, is there any reason to respond? Now, I would argue when there's a clean hit on a player, this stuff about there's got to be a fight. That you know, I don't, I don't get that. But in that case, is there, is there a need to respond? A and B, is there a way to respond? Um, you know, I mean, we all know years ago the response would have been very different and wouldn't have been punished. Now, it is so. You know, I, I think I think the like I say, I'm mixed about the whole thing, and I do think the interesting thing is that the Maple Leafs, about one of their best players, in fact, three of their best players last night, went out and played such a good hockey game against a team that's been playing very well, which is kind of interesting. It sort of tells you, you know, they can they can do a lot more than what they've done this season. Yeah. Now, over the last two years, Damien, I mean, fifteen two and one without. 
Morgan Riley in the lineup. And so, and the numbers with uh, with Matthews out, they've also been positive in terms of uh, how they've per- performed when he's been sidelined. Nobody's saying that those they're better off without Morgan Riley or, I mean, of course, Austin Matthews. But um, I, 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 do you see any, like, is there anything that you can deduce from that sample size of, hey, the Leafs have looked, you know, pretty decent and more structurally sound at times when not, you know, Morgan Riley in particular with, with the, that record, I mean, is, is pretty telling, but beyond that, at times it feels like this team sort of galvanizes themselves when they are missing key parts. Does that make any yeah. sense to you? Does it add up? Well, it, it does add up because a lot of teams will do that, right? Uh, they'll, they'll jump in there when, when important players go down, particularly in the regular season, they, you know, it, it focuses guys more. You didn't see any of the uh, much of the of the turning it over ridiculously mm-hmm. in their own zone last night. They played a simpler game, so probably without Morgan Riley out there, they're going to play us and Mitch Marner and John Tavares. They're going to play a simpler game. They're going to dump the puck in, and then you know the goals they got were kind of mucking around goals. Bobby McMahon taking the the puck to the net hard, and then you know off a rebound firing one in. So. Probably the, the simplifying the game, but look, we all know they're going to need those guys if they're going to have a successful conclusion to this season, however you view success for the Maple Leafs. But, yeah, I mean, I, and I think we see it. Now, let's see how they make out against the Flyers tomorrow mm-hmm. and, uh, and well, the Ducks on Saturday. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we'll look beyond the Ducks. But, you know, see, see how, how they play. I do find it kind of funny as the the, 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 the Ridley Gregg stuff has kind of spawned this celebration in mm. Ottawa and oh look and then now and you know they got Morgan Riley suspended which I guess is great but I think it's also an indication of what an awful year it's been in Ottawa. The 28th even last night they respond to that big night. Everybody's all excited in Ottawa and Ridley Gregg's new hero there's 3,000 shy of a sellout last night in yeah. Ottawa. You know, so what did they really win out of the whole thing? I don't know. I, I, I do, yeah. I have no problem with the Senator's social media team naming him the player of the game and then having the, the, the still photo of the slap shot into the empty net, and I have no problem with them celebrating Ridley Gregg on the ice every time he touched the puck yesterday and him scoring a goal and that being maybe the highlight of the Senator's season. I, it does, for me, who's more of an old-school Hockey guy than you, Damo, which makes little to no sense. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I am bummed that they don't play again this season. I would, yeah. and, it's, and it's great that there is, you know, some juice between these two teams. We've seen that before, and some of my favorite hockey memories is the Battle of Ontario. Yeah, and and uh, but again, like, so you're the old school guy in this That's conversation. Right. I mean, I just turned be- forty, so. <laughs> I don't know. Holy jeez. I, I didn't think you were that old. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, that, that, you know, maybe not wear the DraftKings outfit. Yeah. Anyway, the, uh, but so but what is the response then, right? Like, is yeah. Ryan Reeves going to go beat him up? I mean, what is the response? And I think that's what a lot of old school hockey guys have a problem with, is that you can get away with stuff and just get away with stuff. And it drives them a little crazy, which I sort of get. Like, to me, Ridley Gray can do whatever he wants, and he's a decent young player, and we'll see how he develops as a player. But that's disrespect for the opponent, and that's disrespect for the game, in my mind. In my mind. Other Ottawa fans may think it's the most exciting play they have all year, they've seen all year, and it yeah. might be. But, I mean, uh, I think you, know, you disrespect the game, you disrespect your opponent, 
there's karma that comes along with that. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think the idea that you can compare it to like a bat flip or like a celebration after a goal in a close hockey game, that, that there's no comparison. It's not like that to me is not old school versus new school. And it's like, that's the new school way things are done in pro sports. You celebrate, you know, beating your opponent by multiple goals. No, that's 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 not the same thing as Jose Bautista in the seventh inning of a playoff game, giving his team the lead, flipping the bat. No, it's a different deal, and that's always going to elicit a response from the other team. Uh, we're going to hear from Brad for living today about mm-hmm. the Morgan Riley suspension. I mean, I'm curious to hear what he says. I know for sure he's not going to agree with the punishment handed down. Uh, it's less than I anticipated. I thought it was going to be six games, right? When they had the, the the potential to give Morgan Riley six games, I thought they would take that opportunity. There's perilously few uh, examples of, of of players who have gone to an in-person hearing with the Department of Player Safety who have not gotten at least six games, but still a lot, right? Like, it, it does feel excessive, not overly, but I thought, like, one, two, maybe three games felt like the, the right number, and you're right to point out that George Peros just spins the wheel of justice, and who the hell knows? Um, this, this Leafs team also has had perilously few power play opportunities. They get one at the end of the second period for the first time in, in, in like more than you know, 120 minutes of, of hockey action. Do you think he takes this opportunity to, to, to reiterate what we already heard from Sheldon Keefe in talking in the aftermath of the, the Morgan Riley uh, hit and the, the, the pending suspension that, hey, everything gets magnified in Toronto and not like explicitly it's not fair, but the overall sentiment, do you think Brad for Living says it's not fair the way this team is adjudicated? No, I don't think he'll say that, but I think I would be surprised if he doesn't appeal. And I would appeal because then you're, you're back in your player and you're making a statement. And I think you can, you can say exactly what we've talked about on this show, and that is we think there was a responsibility on behalf of the other player. We think uh, our player was responding to that, therefore – we're going to appeal. Well, maybe that appeal goes nowhere. A couple of years ago, remember Jason Spezza got six. It got mm-hmm. knocked down to four. I mean, it's kind of, it's such a goofy system. Not only is George he, he served really, five, really bad at, and, he, and he mm-hmm. got knocked down to four, but he had already served five, so yeah. he got the money yeah, yeah. back, but he served five. Well, and and who hears this? Who hears the appeal? Mm-hmm. George Peros's boss, right. not some independent body. You know, I mean, I think that's always been a terrible flaw in the NHL system. So you've got an incompetent George Peros and a silly appeal system. That makes no sense to me at all. I, I've never understood why the Players Association goes for that, but but they do. Um, so I, I think that's what Brad Terrilving should do, and I suspect he will do because he's going to say we're standing up for for our player. Morgan Riley has been such a good soldier for these guys, you know, and, and you know, and such a, a good player. I think, you know, and I, I don't think you lose anything by appealing. What are they going to do, take away your timeout? I mean, you might as well appeal, right? <laughs> I mean, has that ever happened? Yeah, you reverse appeal, they add another game. You know what? It's On second thought, six games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and it is funny. I mean, these things are always seen through the eyes of the beholder, right? Ottawa fans are saying, it's just like Dale Hunter on Pierre Turgeon. It's exactly <laughs> yeah, like that. No, for sure. And I even had one guy saying, you know, is, is, you guys, remember Ted Green hitting Wayne Mackey? Yeah, I do, because I'm the lead historian and I have to do that stuff. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, like, like, and then, of course, Toronto fans said, no games. He deserved it. <laughs> I mean. So obviously, <laughs> the answer is somewhere in the middle. 
And I can't say the NHL justice system really makes a whole lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. It, it's inherently flawed. I mean, the, I guess the risk they would run here, Damien, is if they appeal it and then it takes them five, six, seven games before they even get a ruling on it. Like at that point, is it really in the end worth Morgan it Morgan Riley all? would like, say like, yeah, it's worth it to, you know, to save a couple to, hundred ex- grand maybe. Yeah, but like in, in reality, can't the Leafs slide them another hundred grand somewhere else, a couple hundred grand in a different way? Like, I don't know. It's just, it feels a little counterintuitive um, and it, and I mean, speaks to a larger issue with the 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 CBA and the way that it's uh, that the appeal process is adjudicated and how it how it goes through. Uh, it funnels through Gary Bettman, and then it has to be above six games, whatever. All these thresholds that need to be achieved. Um, you know, speaking of Bradtree Living, uh, Damian and and Ben referenced it. Obviously, he's going to talk today. I had this thought creep into my mind a lot because we're now heck, we're less than four weeks away from the trade deadline now, and I wonder. I really wonder what his opinion of this team is. Like, what does he think when he watches that product on the ice? Does he see that group as being capable with a few tweaks or maybe one big splash addition that they're capable of actually going and making an extended playoff run or potentially even winning a Stanley Cup? Uh, God forbid that would happen, but maybe that's in the cards for them. I just I just wonder if, if the deadline rolls around, if he legitimately has questions about the ability of this team to go on a run like that, would he maybe opt to stand pat to keep a lot of the assets that he has at his disposal in his holster and regroup in the off season, knowing that, Hey, now we can take a full, again, a big picture view of it. I didn't have a full off season really in charge with this club. I was inheriting a team. Now I can fully put my stamp on it. Cause I don't get the sense that he's necessarily done that just yet. Well, I mean, predicting what he's going to do with this team is, I mean, first of all, he's limited by the salary cap. He's limited what's available. There's not Mm -hmm. much available. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, there's no player out there that's going to transform the Maple Leafs into a better team. Two interesting thoughts. One, uh, when I turned down that game last night, I saw and you see, and then, oh, Marner's not playing. Tavares isn't playing. And Riley, and you go, and then you look at the Leafs roster, and my first thought was, well, they still got enough. They can beat they they could beat the Blues or at least be competitive with the Blues. Blues have played really well since Drew Bannister uh, was hired. But you know they got enough. And then I'm thinking, well, if they got enough with this, then they should have enough to be a competitive team. Mm. Then you look at the standings. The Edmonton Oilers are have just run. They've just been spectacular for what two months, three months now. They're one point ahead of the Leafs. Right. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I mean, what is the gap really in this in this league? Um, and could the Maple Leafs, with consistent goaltending and consistent play, like the guy who I really noticed last night was how well Jake McCabe played. Mm-hmm. You know, he was way less erratic. He was just rock solid because he had to be. He jumped in there and took the took the responsibility. If they get some guys, and obviously you're not going to get, you know. I mean, we all know you can only contain Bobby McMahon. You can't stop him, no, but you're not right. going to get that many out of him every night. But if you can start getting something from the bottom six of the lineup, which I think we'd all agree have been underperforming, mm-hmm. the team starts looking better. Is the lineup flawed? Yeah, the lineup's flawed. But guess mm-hmm. what? In a salary cap era, most lineups are flawed. That's just the way it is. And it's who covers up their vulnerabilities. The Leafs have been very inconsistent about covering up their vulnerabilities. 
could they go uh, in answer to your question? It's a long winded answer. Pull it smoke. Even I'm getting tired. Um, but the, the, uh, the, you know, could they go on a roll without making any changes? Yeah, they could. But, you know, right now, and given what we've seen, you know, that's a bit of a dicey, but there's no player out there who's going to transform them. There just isn't. Nope. There, there, there really isn't unless it's UC Soros, but yeah, they got uh, good enough. Gold oh yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe, but mm. I, I, I don't know. Well, now, and, and, you know, that's a great point uh, is because we had that long discussion a couple of weeks ago and we all agreed. Yes. Go, would you give up Fraser Minton to get UC Soros? And we kind of all agreed, right? Yeah, yeah you would. Mm-hmm. Would you do that today? Uh, what Ilya Samsonov's done and how he started looking solid again? You yeah, know, it's, I, I still you know, would. it doesn't, I would too. <laughs> I, it doesn't feel like it's as urgent of a need, but. Yeah, I think that would be a prudent move probably still I'm not today. putting Fraser Minton into the Hall of Fame. Not that UC Soros is going in either, but, like, he has a better chance than Fraser Minton. Like, no offense, Fraser Minton. Like, yeah, it's a nice, like, depth uh, wow. centerpiece, but, yeah. Uh, God, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a debate. Who's getting in the Hall of Fame first? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, UC Soros over <laughs> Fraser Minton. Uh, <laughs> well done, Damien. As always, yeah, we'll coordinate our uh, our outfits next week. Although, like, yeah. I assume before eight o'clock, you're still in your jammies. You know, you got the the full the the, the onesie jammie that you that you oh, wear yeah. when you do this. Oh right? yeah, I'm always, always in my always in my Hamilton Tiger Cat jam- uh, onesie. <laughs> <Nice>. Absolutely. <laughs> Just remember, Don King. <laughs> Thanks, Demo. <laughs> See you guys. See ya. There's Damian Cox, Toronto Star contributor, our Leafs historian. Yeah, I the idea that there's nothing to be added to this team, that you take a total punt at the trade deadline, I think is is not what's going to go down. I, I don't think there is a home run swing mm-hmm. because of, as Damian rightly points out, the lack of available difference makers. And I also think, hey, if you're Brides for Living, you're watching that game last night, and not only are you looking at, yeah, some of the depth players that are good enough on this team, you're also looking at the proof of concept of them buckling down defensively and looking a lot better than the team that's one of the bottom 10 teams in the NHL and goals against per game and saying, hey, we can be much better than this. Mm -hmm. And if we look like that more often than not in the previous, whatever, 50 games this season, our record would be a whole lot different. I I, I think, well, hockey's a random sport to begin with, but I, I don't think it's the the most insane idea that this Leafs team could go on an extended run. No, it's not. Um, and recent history would suggest that it's certainly possible. We've seen it happen. We've seen crazier things happen. And this team with the top-end talent, that's the whole premise of having the top-end talent is in order to to get to that level, you feel like they can drive the bus and be in the driver's seat of getting you to where you want to go, ultimately. I do the, – the one thing that I really kind of, you know, had been orbiting my mind is just if if there is any doubt or skepticism from his perspective as the GM being his first year on the job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. If he would say, I don't necessarily, I don't see it and I'm not going to go and invest future assets, take away our best prospects, Mm -hmm. dry up our draft capital for the sake of saying, Hey, I'm going for it guys. Again, like we know the Leafs are in a position where every year needs to essentially be that way. And, but you can, you can find a way to walk that line in a manner so that you're still trying to be prudent with your assets as best you can. And I think the deadline itself, March 8th, will be incredibly instructive in terms of, I think, really informing 
us about how he views this team. Because if he goes out and is investing heavily in this roster, um, going out, he makes a move to get a top four defenseman or or it, not just the guys on the fringes, but uh, something of substance, then I think we can look at it and say, okay, he clearly has full, uh, not full belief, but there's a, a substantial amount of belief that this group could could get it done. If he chooses to not do anything, then I think it's like, hey, we didn't like the prices. We're not keen on giving away future assets or or key prospects. And as such, we're gonna we're just gonna try and act in as a prudent manner. That's that's sort of my read, and that's why I think it's gonna be interesting to see what he does. Uh, Friday, March eighth is the NHL's trade deadline. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Pascal Siakam. Returning to Toronto as his Indiana Pacers trying to get back into the win column uh, against a Raptors team that uh, most recently just got blown out by Victor Webanyama and the San Antonio Spurs. The Pacers are road favorites. Short line, though, minus three and a half at Scotiabank Arena. The total, 244 and a half, Daniele. Mm. Mm. <laughs> 244 and a half. Uh Oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, I Pacers haven't been playing great basketball. I'm going to say Indy, though. I would take them on the spread or the money line. I'd feel comfortable enough, even with the spread at three and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, Raptors have not been playing good basketball, as we've been well documented. Uh, they've lost 11 of their last 13 games. Six of those have come by 20 or more. So, yeah, not good. I think you can roll Indiana potentially here tonight with Siakam coming home. Yeah, I I mean, if I'm going to pick a side, I would take the Pacers. I feel more comfortable, though, in taking the over the total. The Pacers haven't played you great like basketball. Over, right? Oh, my God. Do really? whatever. I know. I know. That are, are we sure the Raptors are going to score? Well, I mean, if they can't against <laughs> this Pacers team, like, that's the thing. This Pacers team has played an up and uh, down brand of basketball. It's been, I guess, less so with Pascal Siakam. And the last eight home games have gone under the, the total point line for the Raptors. So I'm betting against the trend. But nah. I, I, I like the Raptors, no defense, and the Pacers, like, almost no defense. I like the the over, the the huge total, but I, I, I do like the over. That was the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, we'll talk to former Toronto Maple Leafs forward, sports and analyst, Jamal Mayers. As the fan morning show continues, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi, Sportsnet 590, the fan.